Let us pray. O holy God, two weeks ago we gathered, and trumpets played with passion, and hallelujahs were sung with praise. Christ is risen, was proclaimed, chancels brimmed with springtime blossoms, and Easter Sunday promises filled our souls. Yet we gather here two weeks later, and we confess, O God, that soon after Easter, <laughs> Struggles seep, seeped back through the seams of our lives. Worries weighed heavy on our hearts once again. Uncertainty slid back into the shadows of our souls. And we realize that Easter is more than just one day. We realize that Easter is just the beginning of a journey to, to, to new life which we travel day by day. In this service, O oh God, we are invited on this Easter journey. May your spirit meet us here this evening, we pray. And may we travel into this service with open hearts. And if our hearts are too heavy for us to hold open this evening, may your fingers of grace reach in and open them for us. We offer this service to you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Now, on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem.
and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see him.
We had hoped. That's what the two travelers say to the stranger on the road. We had hoped. A couple holding hands sit in the doctor's conference room. She comes in and their faces brighten with anticipation. But there's not a trace of encouragement there on her face. I'm sorry, we've tried everything we know how to do, she says to the gaunt man. But the cancer is still there. In fact, I think it's winning. His wife, beside him, can only stammer, but we had hoped. In the middle of the morning on a typical work day, a young father of two is called into his supervisor's office. His supervisor seems nervous, fussing pointlessly with the papers on the desk. Finally, barely able to meet the young man's eyes, he says, I'm so sorry. Management is restructuring the company. Tomorrow's your last day. Please clear your desk by 3 p.m. The wall clock ticks, and the young man shivers, even though it's a warm room. But I had hoped. Staring through the chain-link fence that surrounds the refugee camp is a Somalian family, a haggard mother, an anxious father, three children. A news reporter holds a microphone under the father's chin and the translator begins, we can see the country of our dreams through this fence, but we will never set foot in any of it beyond this camp. If we go home, we'll never survive. We had hoped. On the road that leads from Jerusalem to Emmaus, two travelers, weary with the despair of it all, tell their story to a stranger who has joined them, how they had hoped that Jesus, a rabbi with the power to still the violence of a stormy lake, or the violence of a disturbed mind, power to break the grip of disease on a body, could also break the grip of the Roman Empire and restore Israel politically, economically, spiritually. But three days earlier, this Jesus in whom they had lodged all their hope was condemned to death in a sham of a trial and he bled his life out helplessly like any ordinary man on a Roman cross. We had hoped, say the travelers, but now he's dead. There are rumors, claims that he's been seen, but you can't hang your future on rumors.
Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. Incredibly enough, the stranger who has joined them on the road and must have come from Jerusalem seems to know nothing about these events that they've just shared. But stranger still, this stranger seems to know their holy writings, the writings of the tradition quite well. And as they tread the weary miles with him, he begins to weave the threads of that tradition into a new pattern. What if this Jesus they speak of were indeed the human face of God, God joined to our human condition? And what if God's intent was far bigger than a temporary defeat of Rome? What if Jesus was God come among us to shatter the primary weapon of every oppressive regime, the power of death and the fear of death? 
strange wisdom that this stranger weaves. In Jesus, the human face of God, God inhabits human flesh, blood, and bone, becomes vulnerable to human hungers, becomes the victim of human violence, takes into the divine heart the depths of human rejection, suffers the tearing of the body, the breaking of a human heart. What if in Jesus, God undergoes human death, our death, yours and mine, to disarm death, to deny death, the last word over any human life. Christian preachers sometimes presented God as a holy thief, robbing death itself of its powers, its power to frighten us in this life, or to separate us from God and one another beyond this life. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, grave, where is your sting? On that road to Emmaus, the stranger encouraged two despairing disciples to read the old tradition in a new way, a new way that leads to a different ending. And we, the readers of Luke's gospel, know what they do not yet know. God has already written that new ending to Jesus' story. And in changing the end of Jesus' story, God has changed the ending of all our stories so that at our dying, it will not be endless death that lays claim to us, but the endless life-giving love of God.
When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread.
woven throughout Luke's gospel are stories of shared tables and feasts, often with unlikely guests. Rabbi Jesus, elbow to elbow with society's least desirable. Jesus, dining with the rich. The party crashed by a notorious woman of the street who washes his feet with her tears and dries them with her hair. Jesus, teaching that God's reign is like a wedding banquet filled with the lowborn because the elite were just too busy to show up. So, it's no surprise that the Emmaus journey ends at a table. The strangeness of the afternoon continues here because the guest is the one who takes up the bread and begins saying the Thanksgiving blessing customary for every Jewish meal, thus taking upon himself the role of the host. The blessing ends. The stranger takes the bread in his hands and begins to break it apart so it can be shared. Suddenly, as the bread breaks, the blinders that have kept those two travelers from seeing their companion's true identity break away. This is no stranger. This is Jesus. But in an instant, he is gone. They rush outside to follow, but he's nowhere to be seen. They hurry, all but running back in the direction of the city to find the other disciples, the only ones they can trust with this strange, electrifying experience. The cool evening air seems charged with a new possibility, as if the world is being reborn, as if angels' wings were beating all around them a hair's breadth from their shoulders. Didn't it feel as if our hearts were on fire as he walked with us and talked with us on the way?
While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened and, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate in their presence.
So the two from, from Emmaus do reach Jerusalem and they find the other Jesus followers and now they are all together and they're stammering and they're stuttering out the news of the day. All of them are comparing notes, searching for words, trying to make earthbound language contain what they have experienced. Who was the first to turn and notice that Jesus was suddenly present. Jesus beckons his followers in close. He insists that they examine him, that they reckon with his physical presence. The gospel writer wants us to know that the God that Jesus reveals does not beckon us into a purely spiritual realm too holy for flesh and sweat or dirty feet and growling bellies. No, Jesus reveals a God committed to bringing transformation into this very real material world of bodies that can be touched, bodies that bear scars, bodies that hunger. Sometimes Christians themselves have had trouble remembering this, that one does not find God by escaping this gritty, material, suffering world so hungry for bread and compassion and justice. What Luke implies, Matthew will make even more explicit. If we want to know Jesus, we'll have to turn toward humanity, not away. Maybe Luke also wants us to know that God is likely to meet us in the face of strangers whose experiences of life challenge our own view of the world. And maybe if we sat down at common tables and listened to one another's ways of weaving together the world, which are different from our own, we'd begin to be less anxious, less self-obsessed, more grateful, more trusting. Word has it that when you're sharing a table with people who are strangers to you, I don't mean just nice people you don't know yet. I mean people who are socially and culturally different. That is when you're most likely to turn around and catch a glimpse of Jesus in the room. And I'm told that on such occasions, the bread no matter how ordinary, tastes especially good, sweet, like reconciliation, sweet, like liberation, sweet, like transformation. In fact, it tastes like hope.
Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high.
Let us pray. O Creator God, as evening now settles in around us, may we lean back into your everlasting arms so that like your first followers, we may stay on this Easter journey with you. Breathe on us the breath of your spirit so that our eyes and our souls will be open to you, so that we may see this world around us with your eyes, that we may reach out into this world with your hands, that we may listen to the voices of those who have been long silenced, and that we may speak into this world words of healing and hope, promise and compassion, justice and peace. And so that we may sing into this song-starved world songs of love and grace and joy. O oh, Creator God, we thank you for the bounty that you have given to us. And we ask that you bless us on this Easter journey. In your holy name we pray. Amen.
And as we go into this evening, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with us now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Friends, this feast has been set for you. We hope that you will come forward and partake and greet one another in the name of Jesus Christ. And also just know, so all may eat, the things that are in the red, uh, the baskets with the red cloths are gluten-free. So are we ready? We're ready. The table has come. Please come. <laughs> <laughs>